Hi folks, this is Paper and Pain. This is Steve. Uh, this is Christian and today we actually have a special guest. Yes, it's not only two of us. We have a special guest today joining us online. Hello, I'm Ninad. Hey Ninad. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I think let's just hit it off with introducing today's topic. Because mm-hmm. I think what we're discussing is mm-hmm. something that is hot. It's the really news. hot. It's been, it's been hot from like starting from the starting of this year until now. It's a really hot topic. We're talking about AI today. But we're not really talking about it because everyone is. So we come from a place that is hit by AI. Mm-hmm. I think not the hardest, but at least along those yep. lines. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the growing concerns in the industry is that uh, with a lot of companies shifting their focus into artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. A lot of companies discussing how AI could replace lots of jobs and lots of functions. Yeah, uh, we wanted to talk to someone who is uh, not taking it the same way as we do, as mm-hmm. in you know the working bees who are mm-hmm. on the ground and uh, not particularly involved in the process, but someone who is rather informed mm-hmm. and rather concerned. So, so you want to talk about against the AI today? Not really for AI. I want to talk about the state of today mm-hmm. and what we're dealing with. I want to discuss what we go into face in the future mm-hmm. and what would be the pain points for us to resolve and for the industry to resolve. That's as an well. interesting topic, and that's why we have the guest today. We have Nina online to join us to give us a little bit more insights on how we actually tackle those issues, and then if we can identify those pain there will be a very good chance for designers actually know the pain, the potential issues, and well, I don't know, it's going to be helpful for them. You know, for the people who are maybe listening to it right now, mm-hmm. thank you folks for listening to it right now, uh, introduce yourself. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, what you do? Hello, I'm Ninad, and professionally, I'm a product designer who mainly specializes in VR, AR, and AI products. So in terms of principles, I'm really a holistic designer for anti-fragile products and systems. And for me, holistic design is all about considering the complexity of the complex systems you live in and all its factors in your design process. So you're using knowledge from epistemology, historiography, global philosophy, privacy, cybersecurity. You're considering all of these issues in your design process. Wait, so you, you, yeah. you said anti-fragile. And that's, I think it's mm-hmm. anti-fragile or enterprise agile. What, what do you anti-fragile. mean? Anti-fragile. Anti-agile. So, yeah, like so what was what that? Like the word coined by Nassim Taleb, anti-fragile. Oh, so it, it is something that is, uh, is it something that is future-proof? It's something that you cannot just easily break? Hmm. The way the reason the word anti-fragile was coined was because researchers like Nassim Taleb had to differentiate between resilience and anti-fragile. And the main difference is that anti-fragile products or systems are systems where when disorder is introduced, they actually get stronger from the disorder. They get better at adaptation. So for one, for example, when we work out our muscles, we are damaging them in order to grow them or Netflix does chaos engineering to improve their network systems. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't actually know that you can actually relate that to product design as well. How how did you end up specializing in that? So I actually read a lot of design books and I discovered regenerative design and realized that even regenerative design 
which is all about using permaculture principles to uh, design in harmony with nature is not enough for the massively interconnected complex system that our global world is right now. And for that, I realized that we need to actually create systems that can survive these threats like AI, for example, um, to prevent systemic collapse of human civilization. And so I started to make this my own journey to introduce this into the design world so that I can actually encourage designers to look at what kind of stuff they can do to make their products more anti-fragile. Interesting. Yeah. Steve, have you ever That's... thought of uh, the concept of anti-fragility? No. no, to be honest, this is my first time here today. And that's mind-blowing. How does that make you feel right mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. Like, that certainly makes me feel like I'm overlooking something really, really critical. Mm -hmm. And from the way Nina positions this is we are impacted by the decisions that we make. And as someone who's producing technology or mm -hmm. uh, digital physical products, we are in fact, uh, like we have a weapon that we could utilize for good, but then we choose to like, you know, a blind eye on this and mm -hmm. just not do anything with it. We do, yeah. And uh, most of the time we actually intentionally blind our eyes on it. Do you mean dark exactly. patterns? Sometimes it's not actually just dark pattern. It can also be not specific, specific speaking in a design. It can also be just since happened before. We know the it's the cost to solve the issue is too much, and we just try to avoid it. It can be it can I be the like management. Note well. One thing though, mm -hmm. that I say that I'm making anti fragile products, but really. All products are systems, you know? Products don't exist in isolation. They are all systems. And so everything we create is affecting us as a human being, and it's affecting everyone in the workplace, all the users, obviously, but it's also affecting governments and a lot of other things. Like we're looking at what's happening with Twitter and Reddit right now in current events. Um, the, I'm not sure if I can say this word, the enshittification of social media is basically making the critical infrastructure for some people's livelihoods completely destabilized and it's removing accessibility to so many people who need it especially the disabled and blind deaf all of them look the way the way mm -hmm. i uh, process all that we are talking about right now is I'm having some conflicting thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. As someone who's working with and like focusing strongly on accessibility these days, I understand the the importance of thinking beyond what we are taught to think about, which is business impact and subsequently or user experience, essentially. And social, maybe. But social impact. In, we need to think about uh, what, like, how we can help the people, especially those who are usually underserved there. But then it also backs the question, and this is why the thoughts are quite conflicting. Uh, there's way too much information that we are sort of forced to, to, to consume and process. And we need to filter out the things that do matter to us and things that, you know, that we can sort of overlook intentionally without making the ultimate sacrifice you know so how do you folks do that how do you avoid this informational overload especially given all of those things that we face every day and all of those things that we just quickly discussed you know mm -hmm. there's so much information for us to to consume and things to learn i'm just afraid that if i start doing this and if i embark on this journey i'm just going to burn out so fast I won't be able to do anything. And I bet that that's how a lot of people would feel as well. Yep. Yep. Actually, I have the same, same question. How, that, with all the things happening in the world, how do we actually know to distinguish what is important and what is actually not really that important? We've just been 
exaggerated by the media, by the post or the social media. Everything people talking about online may not be actually that relevant at all after one or two months. How do we actually yeah stay up to date with all the things happening in the world and able to distinguish what is actually really important to us? The issue with what's happening with information processing and distribution is that all the news companies that we used to use, magazines, design magazines used to be so popular. Uh, popular, Smashing Magazine, for example, that used to be the thing designers used to read, stay up to date. But now what's happening is that a lot of news websites and everything have a lot of biases in their reporting and have just been focused more on trying to get pay-per-click ads on internet or trying to get somehow to sell and get people to purchase more. It's all about the profitization model. And even Google has become really shitty, honestly, because of search engine optimization. You'll get absolutely irrelevant results unless you put Reddit right after it, or if you're a developer, you put Stack Overflow right after your question, right? And so the question is like, now how do we actually figure out um, what websites to go to, what to refer to, when even Reddit is getting ruined, Twitter is getting ruined? Um, my solution to that is that there are some applications and newsletters that are curating the signal from all the noise. And so if you trust these curators, they are using their email list. And email is never going to go away. Email is always going to be there. It's an anti-fragile technology. So you can rely on email newsletters as a good source of information. So for geopolitics, I usually read International Intrigue and Quartz, they have good summarizations. And International Intrigue, for example, has excellent commentary on the world events that are happening currently. For tech news like AI and emerging technology trending news, I usually use MIT Technology Review and TLDR. And if you want to keep up with virtual reality news, Kent Pai has a great podcast called uh, Voices of VR. And I also recommend Road to VR and Upload VR, which are like really good websites for keeping up to date as well. But for general UI UX design, I usually stay up to date with the UX Collective newsletter, which is like you can find on Medium as well if you want to. We should actually make a list of all these newsletters and resources and probably put in our notes for the podcast. Yeah, I think it should go into description definitely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the only I think the only challenge that I see there is that we are in fact facing the same issue as we did just a few years back. I do remember the good old days, although like I sadly was not old and you know smart enough to mm-hmm. uh, appreciate those times when blogs were a thing and you would get a lot mm-hmm. of opinionated content that was essentially distributed through independent platforms. And right now, the way social media works is that, yeah, it does try to feed you the content that it deems, you know, relevant to you. But it it brings us back to the the issue with biases, the issue with uh, content being promoted, which has nothing to do with, you know, the objective truth or uh, just straight away misleading information, uh, fraudulent information and so on. But uh, when it comes to blogs, just like you said, right, we've got advertising that's eaten up like a good chunk of those portals that used to be good before. And then people today don't really know where to turn to. As you go on LinkedIn and you see Broetry and you see those folks that are just trying to you know, show off. Uh, and it's it's not even surface level insights. It's not get, getting any deeper than be a good person, don't be a bad person, subscribe, uh, please help me find a job. And that's like, it's just impossible. And then you've got the same overload on Twitter. Then you got an issue with Reddit that's essentially just choking those independent uh, app developers with the new API pricing, which means that, again, inevitably, we're prioritizing monetization over user-generated content in basically we, we we're destroying the platform with that so there's a lot of tension in that regard and a lot of people are saying that ai is going to eliminate many of these 
and he's going to be like the savior you know the grace that we can turn to and that would be the source of information for us that would replace all of those old portals social media google everything that we turn to for knowledge and information and what do you folks think like is that where we go in with it and how far away from that moment when ai is like literally everywhere are we first of all what i think um, the, the the thing about ai is it's still too unpredictable too, uh, too unpredictable and it's uncertain it's like if you roll it back the time to five or six decades ago when um the first atomic bomb was uh, was invented by oppenheimer and you know he actually has a few quotes about it when he described the uh, the upcoming bomb and he said this he, before he invented he thought it's going to be a savior for the world to end the war but then when the atomic bomb was actually been true uh, be been been there and he see the power of it and he started to regret all, all, all his decision and all his comments and then basically that shadow has been leaving him for the whole life until he passed away and i wrote i wrote a uh, i kind of like read a quote about that a few days ago and then actually people are actually comparing ai with the status of ai how the ai are going to affect our future with this how atomic bomb was invent the invention of an atomic bomb and how is it was going to to impact the whole world back in 1959 1940s 1950s okay we definitely have a drama king in the room <laughs> Ninad, can we get some <laughs> objective truth about what ai is and what it isn't because i'm pretty sure it's mm-hmm. not a nuclear bomb and it's like not even close to that all right so some researchers do feel that they kind of opened a pandora's box with what they're offering with open source AIs projects and um, all of these things. But these concerns are somewhat overblown when it comes to AGI, because a lot of the talk that is getting popularized is really around the artificial general intelligence, which is not where the technological progress is currently. So there's not that much to worry about right now, but let me just define what AI is before um, heading there. So artificial intelligence, basically, as it is right now, is all about training models for specific tasks with a training data set. So you can automate stuff, you can modify images, you can replicate voices, you can analyze data and get a lot of insights. There's so many things you can do with AI to improve your productivity. But there are some things that it specifically can't do, which is empathize, which is super important for designers. Um, It definitely does not understand the user's intentions as well as 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 a human can. And it can't make critical decisions regarding ethics and justice. So we should really never give AI the power to make decisions. They should only be there for assistance in making decisions. But people are already breaking this rule, by the way. People have already started using AI as decision-making in their companies, which is, they just don't understand enough about ChatGPT, for example. And another limitation of AI is that it cannot adapt beyond what is trained for. It's limited to whatever is there in the training data set for now, until there's artificial general intelligence. And that's when you can think of the existential risk, I think, right? But primarily, I would say the concerns about everything getting wiped out or whatever, is mainly from people having fear from not understanding what the state of AI is at the moment. And also I would like to add from our previous conversation is that AI is also going to make that problem worse that we talked about, which is AI generated content is going to basically make it even worse to find what you need. And it's going to be AI curating AI generated content for humans. And then you're going to optimize AIs to so that they are cur- get into the algorithms for the AI curated algorithms. So it's just going to be AI feeding into AI and it's just a whole lot of shit getting passed into from one mouth to the other, right? And so that's basically what AI 
AI's limitations are. That's why we follow human curators because they bring their own personal experience into it. And we get rational, holistic thinkers who have good decision-making when they actually choose their sources. Or we know that what their biases are when we are picking those curators so we can self-correct them while reading. It's funny how we all know that in when you mentioned that AI curating, AI generated content. And I'm starting to think that knowing pretty well that AI is hallucinating. AI is really good at convincing you that it knows things that it cannot objectively know, right? Because, well, does not really know things. And is just making things up so convincingly that we are at risk, the way I see it, at least in the way you, you put it as well, we are at risk of just generating so much content like so that even now when you go on the internet and you start looking something up, there's a chance that you're going to stumble upon something untrue, right? And you need to double check and you need to sort of do this this job by yourself. You need to validate the information that you discovered. Now you throw in, in one extra layer. Now you need to first distinguish AI generated content from human generated content, then you need to validate this information. And then it's sort of like, it, it feels like it's just adding extra complexity. But I'm, I'm wondering like, okay, first of all, mm-hmm. if it's so bad and we are aware of what it does and what it does not do, uh, how can we actually rely on it? Like realistically, how can we allow ourselves to become dependent on AI so 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 early on, basically? And the second is, uh, what shall we do about it? Are you using AIs today? I I used to use I used to use it probably like one or two months ago when. AI was really pretty hyped. And what did you do? Like, what did you use it for? Just use it for getting um, some ideas, maybe brainstorming, getting some suggestions on input, or help me to pull out some data from the internet, which normally is going to take me hours to actually dig it out by myself. Okay, generating ideas, I can get that one. I mean, mm-hmm. there can be some sort of like a random inspiration. Mm-hmm. But finding information? Finding information. For example, when we're just asking AI, like if I just type on a GPT and asking, okay, show me the data about the screen. For example, you've designed for responsive screen resizing. Just oh, show okay. me the data, about, like how many different devices of different sizes are actually there for the auto market. So from this time to this year, and what's the like the percentage of those devices on the market? It was able to pull up some information but not always the, the latest because we know that GPT was actually using the data that's only stopped at around 2010 or 20, 2021 right? 2021 right Ninad, am I right to assume that like ideally you should not be doing this because even knowing that it does have some information it, it, it was actually using those texts to learn it doesn't actually know that it's like that Yes. That information the, exists, the, and it, it like it doesn't work the same way as Google does. It does not find this information; it generates for you, and it generates from this information. Meaning that what it does generate in the end mm-hmm. is not necessarily true. It just sounds convincing. Yes, so the credibility is going to be one of the major issues. It just make it sounds like it's so convincing that you think it's so true. I think that's also how they actually make the ChatGPT product so prominent, making people. Making people think everything is trying to tell you it's so true, and uh, people can easily actually make all the, the all the output from ChatGPT, even as their decision maker. And that that's actually a very very uncanny thing. The reason hallucinations actually happen in any kind of large language model like ChatGPT or Bing or Claude is that. Usually, there are inaccuracies in the training data set, or there are issues with the training themselves. And the issue with hallucinations in the current state of AI is that even researchers are still trying to mitigate it. Only recently are there papers where they are trying to release um, a lot of models that don't have these hallucination issues with very specific tasks. So most tasks still still have the issue of hallucination 
which means that they need to train these AI on bigger and bigger training data sets. And they also need to improve the way they are training uh, these models on those data sets with better efficiencies and better architectures, right? And so once that is done, we'll actually get LLMs that can consistently give us the output that we want, which are factually correct. I will say that the current, in the current state of the art AI, Claude is the most safest one to use. Uh, it's made by Anthropic, and they are also the only company that is the most, I guess, progress in terms of AI safety and transparency. And um, do you do you still using AI like in your daily practice nowadays in your like your design or even non-design related tasks? Yeah, so AI is actually pretty big part of my daily life now. Uh, of course, I mentioned all the chatbots. You have an assistant which can get you through your productivity blocks by breaking down your tasks and suggesting efficient ways to work on your tasks. So you can basically ask the AI how to do anything and it will teach you how to do those things in the most efficient way possible. And most of the time, it is pretty good at doing that. If you're using it as an assistant, there is no problem with it whatsoever. It, the issue is when you're using it as if it's a teacher who's saying everything that's correct, or you're avoiding it because you have a fear of it being wrong. What we have to learn is to learn to live in harmony with AI, which is to use them through holistic understanding of what AI really is. And so one of the ways I use LLMs is through prompt engineering, where you can create your own LLM apps to get whatever you want with consistent results. So one example of this application is that I wanted to translate some Chinese text into English, and I tried to do it through Google Translate, DeepL, Yandex, all of them, Papago, and all of those obscure ones as well, like Baidu and everything, but none of them gave me the results that I actually wanted. I decided to make my own AI with LLM prompt engineering, and I have a much better translator now than anything out there just because I understand prompt engineering at a very deep level. That actually yeah. does sound a bit scary. Uh, I I mean, <laughs> let's, let's look at it from this perspective. You, you right? are always very pessimistic about it. I'm, I'm, I'm not pessimistic. I'm just trying to be, you know, I, I'm trying to be realistic in, mm -hmm. in terms of what are the things that we can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. And I'm also trying to mm -hmm. predict like the worst possible outcome just so that when it does happen, I'm ready for it. But in this particular case, think about it this way. You have uh, a translator app, which means that thousands of engineers actually spent hours and hours building it. Designers put together the wireframes, project managers ran around, you know, coming up with features, interacting with users. All of a sudden, someone without any sort of like, any, any experience doing anything like that, just comes in, fires up chat GPT and says, okay, built me a translator app. And it does just that, mm -hmm. right? So how far are we then from a point where someone's just gonna come in and say, well, we don't need you anymore. Like we don't need designers anymore. We have this model that can just put together wireframes easily. You know, I, I'm not even talking about like synth synthetic users. Don't even like bring it up, but AI, the way you you put it this way is literally already taking away our jobs is it not not but not necessarily to be it, it really depends on the for example it depends on the management decision as well when when you are telling me that a management decided okay because we're really using ai we can actually come out with all the wireframe all the framework easily and you don't need to be here anymore it's a management decision they do not actually understand what AI can do and what's the drawback AI has and what potentially AI can actually be misleading on their decision. Okay, but instead of like instead of hiring a freelancer, Ina just went ahead and spent a few hours prompt engineering it oh, and then he's got his No, oh, two minutes. See not two even minutes. not even a few hours, right? So somebody spent their life Mm -hmm. perfecting the craft of building translator apps, I don't know, learning Chinese. And then instead of employing them, you go ahead, mm -hmm. you key in a few prompts, and there you have it. So I've only got one question, what the hell? 
we are losing humanity here. You know, is this a question I of disagree. humanity? <laughs> I disagree. I think what okay. AI is allowing us to do, my vision for world has always been that we become free as human beings to pursue our creative expressions. And what I think AI is doing is it's automating repetitive and menial tasks so that designers can focus on the tasks which require their expertise. And the main job of designer is to solve design problems and explore new possibilities. So what AI is really doing is allowing us to have the freedom to work on the most meaningful and fulfilling parts of our jobs. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Nilad, because I, I agree that AI is supposed to be dealing with repetitive, tedious, boring work that no one wants to do. But because AI is taking those tedious part from our job so we have time to actually focus on real creation creating something that it's not even able to do with humanity with our input with our emotions okay if that is how you both look at it then mm -hmm. tell me one thing and again i'm not trying to sound gatekeepy in no way but mm -hmm. uh from what i hear is i'm no longer relevant if you take me today I've only got a handful of things, like the handful of skills that AI does not have, the capacity for empathy, for instance. Mm -hmm. But the rest of it, it looks like AI is going covered. So if I don't want to starve to death, you know, what should I do? Like, is there a way for me to get out of this? It, are there any skills that I need to pick up right now to stay relevant before my robot overlords you know finally put me to death one advice save up money so you can retire before they're taking over our job that's a very good solution <laughs> but if you're not able to do that um i think you don't have to worry so much because i actually think designers are probably the safest job positions because we are quite irreplaceable compared to many of the job positions out there you would think that machine learning developers and software developers who earn the most are irreplaceable, but actually they are way more replaceable than designers because in terms of business and marketing, um, humans are actually way better than AI in understanding humans and doing things that humans need. And so I would say that designers are way better at understanding users, prototyping and making critical decisions regarding user experience. And AI is only going to be used as an assistance. But to add on to that, if you do want to stay in the industry, you have to learn how to use AI or else you're going to be swept in the currents and you might, you might not be able to find a job so easily in five or 10 years when everyone else has learned how to use AI in their workflow. And so one important skill is, of course, prompt engineering. There are many researchers on YouTube like Andrew Renji, Ian Goodfellow, and Andre Karpathy who actually have free courses and free YouTube videos teaching the fundamentals of data science and artificial intelligence, which can like give you a lot of insight about the capabilities of AI. So you actually know what is it that you can do with AI and what you can't. And by learning more about it, you'll also not have any of those fears that you have, that uncertainty that is making you question and having that imposter syndrome and wondering if an AI will replace me or whether I'm doing something meaningful or not. It's only when we actually start incorporating AI and have more free time to do meaningful tasks that we'll realize that, oh, our job had this much value, but so much of the time was taken because of repetitive and menial tasks. I think, um, yeah, well, I agree with the, the part where you said uh, designers are actually one of the jobs that actually come into the end of it when you're talking about AI replacing our daily jobs, the profession. But um, even for designers, we have different aspects. We have designers actually focus on researching. We have designers focusing on building mm -hmm. the, the, the experience behind it. We have designers actually focusing on the visual. And uh, specifically speaking about design system, actually, I, I do find out um, there is a lot of repetitive work in design system and design operation. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm not even sure if I should be the one who actually worried about it because it, if they are actually really taking over majority of our jobs, job scope, right? And what will be the, the, the remaining thing we can actually focus on, like those creative things in design operation and design system? 
that is where holistic design for anti-fragile products and system comes in, which is what will differentiate you from other designers, since you will be able to build products and systems that are designed for a much larger scale, understanding all of the factors that are happening rather than something that is made in isolation. And so you're going to make products and systems that can survive almost any distress, but also get better with distress. That's incredible for employers. Everyone would want a designer like that. Not a lot of those designers exist right now because, well, we are creating that field, right? So it's in development. But as we work on it, we'll find that the paradigm of design will change. And simply, just as developers have to change with every new language and every new standard, designers have to change with the technologies as well. Okay, okay, let's mm. say you convinced me, right? And again, I do realize that I sound like an old fart. I am yes, you are. I'm being a bit <laughs> conservative when it comes to new technology and all, but mm -hmm. uh, let's say I believe that maybe I can in fact use AI, you know, to aid me and see it as, you know, my assistant or a friend mm -hmm. rather than an enemy or a potential replacement. But I still have some problems with, you know, accepting the fact that I'm, I'm effectively playing with a black box, you know? Mm -hmm. I have no idea how AI works. I have no idea where it's getting the information from. But what I do know is that every company is trying to stick AI into their product these days. You're going to have microwaves empowered by AI. You're going to have kettles. I kid you not, we're literally standing right next to like a, a smart kettle. Did you actually get that? Then? I did, and it wasn't a discount. And it was supposed oh. to be, you know, oh, it? Uh, you, you, you should be able to control the temperature and all. That, and I that's used not it, like, smart. That's not even AI related. See, it's not smart. It's a stupid kettle. It just able to control the temperature it doesn't make it smart that is precisely the point right so you advertise something as smart or like ai empowered for 2023 but you are still in fact getting the same batch of problems and my biggest issue with all of those problems again taking all that you just set into consideration is that i see artists and designers mm -hmm. who have their the, the, the illustrations, uh, the documents, the text essentially taken away by mm -hmm. AI, stolen, and then a lot of new materials are being generated in the same style, using the same assets. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you have a lot of potentially misleading information that AI generates for you. You have uh, artificial intelligence that is incredibly good at convincing you that it knows things even when it doesn't you have companies that control it that do not let you look into what's inside so you have no idea how they process your data mm -hmm. and you have this whole issue with unethical uh training set usage where is this information coming from uh did any of those people give their permission and mm -hmm. Am I allowed to, you know, to sell what AI produces? Am I allowed to claim it? So you see, it's like it's it's a snowball of issues and you just keep piling up. And we are rushing to get this thing into a market without even considering all of those. First of all, that kettle is not AI and that's not smart at all. Oh, thank God it's not AI. Yes, you know? thank God <laughs> that it's a dump kettle. Oh, well, it's it, it's been around for a while and it's, it fits the it kitchen, is. but... Uh, yep. You know, I, I can't wait for a moment. Okay, you then. <laughs> you want to take a look on that? Can't wait for a moment when, you know, when I finally get AI kettles and AI sure. mugs. But again, getting back to the topic, yep. what are we supposed to do with all of those problems? You know, uh, designers, I think, should discuss and exchange ideas about these issues like open source development, privacy, cybersecurity, and trading data set biases to really come up with frameworks to consensus and establish principles of ethical design for AI applications so that we can prevent potential issues of the future and also mitigate the damage that is happening in the present. And 
creating transparent AI, of course, is going to allow users to understand as well, like all the reasoning behind its outputs and also how we design that AI, right? But also, I think a lot of this falls on the hands of governments because governments globally have to focus on legal innovations for emerging technologies, not just for AI, but also for extended reality, which is virtual reality and augmented reality. And a good thing, good news, is that the European Parliament is already taking steps in the right direction with their recent AI Act, which focuses on AI safety and transparency for high-risk areas. And the main features of those act, uh, the main features of that act is banning the banning the use of AI for biometric identification in public, discrimination, emotional monitoring, and using public data to create facial recognition databases. So the stuff you were saying about scraping data from AI artists and facial like public databases, it's kind of happening, but we need to make it happen faster than the progress that these tech bros and big tech is trying to do with AI. Um, it, it may not have it may not have to be dangerous all the time. Well, I'm not saying I'm seeing dangers all around. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is there's a lot of fluff and the, there are lots of discussions that are utterly meaningless that happen mm -hmm. on Twitter, LinkedIn, everywhere. You can mm -hmm. ignore all of those, right? <laughs> but what you yeah. cannot ignore is, mm -hmm. you know, tech companies and tech giants uh, essentially going full steam ahead with integrating AIs everywhere mm -hmm. and potentially even talking openly about replacing jobs in the nearest future with AI and automation to a certain level. I know that I may sound like, you know, uh, someone from the uh, late 19th century really terrified that, you know, steam engines going to kill my job, but it will inevitably get to a point where we need to discuss all of those issues, not within this little club of people who are concerned, but it does have to be a big discussion with everybody involved where we actually talk about ethical considerations, where we talk about regulation. Like, I'm not, I can't say I'm not a fan. Uh, I just don't believe in regulation being, you know, the only way to stop it. There's always ways to bypass this. And there's no universal laws that apply to everyone, right? You have certain countries that would implement this. But we, for instance, all know what happened to cookie banners, right? We know what they were trying to do and we know how they did it. In the end, it backfired, and we have studies that show that people actually ignore them even more than they used to before that. So now we have people who are not just not aware of cookies. They think that, well, that's just some annoying thing that the government makes us put onto our websites. So I guess that all comes down to a problem of, you know, selling this, this thought to designers, uh, tech companies, business owners, stakeholders, the idea that we need to, you know, start thinking about developing transparent ethical models. And that just backs the question, right? What can we do? You know, I'm not just saying like, what can three guys that are just, you know, discussing all of those things uh, for a podcast can do, but in general as a design community, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we are not the people who make business decisions, but is there anything that we can do, you know? We can yeah, at least influence by now by voicing out to 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 affect a business decision if we can. I mean, still very very minor chances. So my perspective on this is that all designers are humans, and humans by nature are less likely to change when faced with facts and demands because of the psychological effect called the backfire effect. So. We should actually just convince designers the same way designers convince users to use their apps through stories. Stories of how unethical usage of AI is already causing disorder and suffering in the world. And one of these examples is how facial recognition was used in China to identify Uyghurs for ethnic discrimination. And so looking, for, looking at that example, if you have a story about an individual or someone who is a survivor of that, then it would probably hit hard for most designers, at least those who have some humanity in them. And so we really need to promote the use of 
AI ethics guidelines and frameworks and design processes at our workplaces, um, conferences, local events, professional networks, and on social media. And in a way, creating this podcast and doing content creation is one of the best ways of actually getting people engaged in this topic and making them aware of all the issues regarding artificial intelligence and its abuses. Okay, I do not want to sound pessimistic again, but it looks like I'm taking up the job for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've just had a discussion about how AI is going to benefit us in terms of automating some of our you know, boring aspects of mm-hmm. what we do daily mm-hmm. and how it's not going to take away our jobs. Fine. But then we got into this like uh, problematic area when we got to a point where we effectively talking about the need to regulate AI and the need to, you know, spread awareness. And then it sort of brings me to a particularly unpleasant point. Uh, as I was scrolling your Twitter, you know, I was actually uh, looking at this, this little tweet uh, mm-hmm. where you write that if you're imagining that all the progress in AI will lead us to live better lives where we can freely express our creative aspirations and live a life of fulfillment, essentially what we were talking about just now. That's an illusion. The rich are going to get richer and the poor will be abandoned. That's likely our reality. So are we doomed? Because that definitely sounds like we are. So. We live in a capitalistic society where technological progress and automation has almost always increased the income inequality if we look at historical studies. And so the richest people in the world, if you take a look at it right now, are all business owners who would love to replace employees with AI to earn even more money. But what we really need to safeguard against that is social safety nets and progressive taxation to prevent this effect from spiraling down into a recession with unprecedented levels of unemployment. And I feel like some people will feel like they have learned hopelessness as if that we don't have a chance to change the world. But what you have to realize is that we are all part of the world. And so in a way, we are the world. And when we change ourselves, we're already changing the world. And so change starts with ourselves. And when we change, our principles and our actions in accordance with what needs to be done, then we are changing the world. Yeah, the 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 AI is only one very tiny aspect of society. Because uh, I agree with with the part when you're talking about the capitalization, the capitalists tend to use AI to replace labor because it's all in the name to create more revenue, to generate more income by cutting down the cost. But um, we are losing our humanity again there. That's why we have social net. That's why we have the social safety net, right? That, that, that's, that's, but yeah, I, I got your point about this being very, the, the, the society is going to be extremely polarized if all of this is going way out of control and without any regulation at all. It does look like it is getting out of control already because from where we stand, right, uh, we have seen some tremendous progress being done in the past few years from a place where AI was not even a thing and it was not discussed anywhere to a point where we are literally discussing this because we have products we we are working on implementing them and we are working on you know getting them out there improving the quality and essentially integrating them in our workflow so we have this this ethical dilemma of an unprecedented speed of development uh with no regulation whatsoever in basically no call for regulations because from where we sit today uh, we see a large community of uh, designers and in general people in tech industry. They have no concerns whatsoever. They're not talking about it. They're dismissing all of this as if it was just, you know, some some crazy cat lady just, you know, yelling something. Uh, as she always does, you know, it's a, just an old man yelling at a cloud. What can you do with it? And I'm fine with feeling uh, 
with feeling like that because I've always been that old man yelling at a cloud and I, I felt okay with it. But right now I feel like I'm essentially helpless. Like I'm, I cannot do anything. And I do not have any power to stop this. And I don't want to. I'd like to help, but everything that I do is essentially just banging my head against the wall. Mm -hmm. So now it gets me to think, okay, if there's a silver lining, let's say, is there anything that that we can do to sort of use this huge power for good? You know, it it's like you have this ring of power and you have an elf lord that puts it on and is like, okay, now I'm going to do some good stuff. So... Historically, we have faced a lot of these issues um, where we felt this helplessness. Right now, currently, the war in Ukraine and Russia, a lot of people who have their families in Ukraine felt completely helpless because they couldn't do anything. They didn't have the power. They didn't have the money to do anything for them. But they did what they could. And that's what mattered. Because by doing what they could, they filed petitions and um, convince governments around the world to actually help Ukraine, especially in EU, a lot of this movement um, actually translated into results. So hope is not gone. It's when a huge number of people come together and work towards one thing where we can actually make a change because the people who are in power have that power because of us, because we give them that power. Right? And so the way to use AI for good is by using AI for good ourselves. And the way that I see, one of the most transformational ways that I'm seeing AI being used for good is Khan Academy's AI Tutor, which is a game changer for personalized education because Sal Khan has been a huge part of many people's school lives with incredibly easy to understand videos of complex topics. And the new AI Tutor that they're experimenting with is showing so much promise that I think is going to lead a massive transformation for the education industry. But I don't think that those AI tutors will actually replace the good teachers because in education, the student-teacher relationship matters the most and AI will actually allow those teachers to get closer to the students and do what is the most fulfilling and meaningful part of their jobs, which is teaching the next generation to be better than us, right? And another example of a game-changing good use of AI is for accessibility. Since GPT-4 released, we have an app called Be My Eyes, which is an application that individuals with low vision can use to take photos, and it will describe what the photo is about in audio using GPT-4. This basically allows them to read books, maps, guides, and navigate the world with just a single smartphone app. That is a huge transformation for this community. And I, I kind of feel like that is precisely what we should be doing. And unfortunately, maybe it's just me not looking hard enough. Maybe it's because, again, maybe it's because of how like social media algorithms work. They're trying to push this like meaningless content that gets all the all the likes and all the attention. And the more you look at it, the more you get fit. Exactly. Yeah, that's but why they call it feed. You have... A... Make sure to turn off your read history and watch history in Google so that that doesn't happen. Use the VPN, mask it up, yeah. I mean, again, I don't want to be a crazy cat lady, you mm -hmm. know, and don't yell uh, no offense. I think there is, you know, a, a healthy threshold. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can and you should be trying to, you know, protect yourself and your data, but, mm -hmm. you know, to it, to a level, to a certain level beyond which is just, <laughs> you know, getting over the extreme and just... Uh, shooting yourself in the foot but uh, I think education especially with like Khan Academy I owe a lot of mm -hmm. what I know and what I do daily to Khan Academy's content I think what what Khan Academy did in general and what it keeps doing is it just changes the way uh, people you know people learn things mm -hmm. by providing them an easy digestible content in making it you know entertaining because if you were to tell a 15 year old me that i'd be enjoying you know uh learning maths once again that like i would just i would just laugh in your face but right now i'm like i'm, I'm actually thrilled to see 
a platform like that emerge. I think health is a huge, huge thing. In general, health tech and wellness tech is a big industry in and of mm. itself. Is not something that's going away. But I'm not even talking about meditation apps. I, uh, in all honesty, I don't think anyone needs that many meditation apps. Uh, but there's there's so many other problems that we can tackle with the help of AI. And I think if we were to focus on that, instead of, you know, developing Amazon bots that are finding better deals for us, which, okay, in and of itself could be a good thing, or, I don't know, putting together yet another Figma plugging for gradients. Uh, mm-hmm. Do I have a thing against Figma plugging for gradients? You, maybe you have, yeah. But I feel like we need to do one thing in general as an industry. We need to come together and help each other out. And just yes. educate ourselves yep. and educate the others. That, that's what the community is for. A single voice is not strong enough, but when you have the ideas to spread out in a community, when you have all the voices coming together, that's going to make something different. At least make a little bit difference. True. I do agree with that. I think a lot of it has to do with how we as humans are in disorders ourselves. We're living disorderly lives and we're perpetuating that disorder in our work and causing disorder for others. And so when we ourselves come into harmony and live in harmony with nature, with with the human beings around us and work on our relationships, communicate better and resolve conflicts um, as much as possible, that's when we can actually come together through mutual understanding and collaboration and make change. I have one last question to the mm-hmm. both of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, since I'm being a bit pessimistic about the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, I'm probably not going to answer this, but uh, let's just say there comes a day when AI finally replaces you. It, we don't need no no designers anymore. You know, AI is empathetic enough to put together your I don't know, design systems or do mm-hmm. some VR experiences. Mm-hmm. What would you do? I don't know. Maybe I will get away and run away into a small, small island and starting my holiday, spending the rest of my life like cast away, enjoying the last moment of tranquility in my humanity life. As far as I remember, <laughs> the guy in Castaway was actually going insane and he was talking to his volleyball. <laughs> The painted blood on it, you know. Well. Okay, you are going to go mental. Ninad, what about you? The practical way would be to think of who's going to benefit it, benefit the most from that. And that's going to be, obviously, the rich and powerful people. And so if you have an issue with someone, it's going to be those people. And what is the number of them again when all of this happens? Since they don't have any humans working under them, they have all AI working under them. There's going to be a lot more humans outnumbering them. <laughs> it's time for a revolution, isn't it? You, you know where I'm getting at. Are we going <laughs> to like, you know, get to a point where AI is everywhere mm-hmm. and people are all out of jobs and we just bomb ourselves back into medieval times? Because <laughs> I bet I've seen a film just like that or maybe a few. This sounds very fumic, yes. It sounds like Mad very, Max all over. Mad Max. I'm not ready, I'm you not know, ready. to paint, it, it, it to paint also... my, my chest and start riding around in a Jeep. <laughs> That's a good movie, by the way. I like it. Oh, yeah, I don't hate being gothic and wearing gothic outfits. Sounds pretty cool, honestly. <laughs> but I'm not actually that pessimistic. I do think uh, we have a lot of people who are working towards progressing and preventing these things. If we are preparing to prevent the systemic collapse of human civilization and actually creating these anti-fragile products and systems that I talk about, then we are considering these scenarios while creating those products and systems. And so at least those systems will exist for people that need them. So for example, if someone who is rich and powerful like Elon Musk or Steve Huffman decides to ruin their social media, then we can have alternatives that are based on Fediverse or decentralized technologies that are still accessible for most people. And so focusing on that, preparing for 
the inevitable collapse of human civilization uh, by giving people access to technology and allowing us to use technology for human progress and civilizational progress is the way I think we will go. Actually, you just mentioned about one topic. I think there's going to be a new topic we're going to talk about in our coming up episode. You just mentioned about decentralized, decentralized anything that's empowered by AI. That can be the next big topic. Well, uh-huh. I cannot wrap my head around AI, <laughs> and you want me to start thinking about decentralized system. I always insist you to go quit Twitter, join Mastodon. Let me just put telling... on my smart cattle first, <laughs> and then we'll discuss that. Yeah, maybe. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Nanette. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you taking time, and thanks for listening. Folks. Thanks for listening as well. Yep. Have a good night and good weekend ahead. That was paper and pain. This is Steve. This is Christian. Bye bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.